You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Now, I, I've been given a, a wonderful opportunity today. Joe told me I got to preach Psalm chapter 8. And so, man... You can't ask for a better gift than to preach Psalm 8. And so I'm going to ask you, because we're going to sing again, in a way. We're going to worship in a song, but we're going to read it together. I think he's got, he's got it on the screen, right? So why don't you stand with me, and we're going to read and, and kind of worship with this psalm, because I want you to catch how worshipful this psalm really is. So let's read it together. Let me get out of your way, if you can't. So let's read it together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, and the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor, and have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen? You may be seated. Now, there is one name, one name above all names. Only one name resounds through all of human history. You know, our our time is even divided by it. I mean, think about it. This is the point of Psalm chapter 8. The two words that you see in the very first verse, O Lord, our Lord, are not the same word, by the way. So I want you to grab, do you have your Bibles? Do some of you have Bibles? Sometimes nowadays we don't carry Bibles anymore. So hopefully you've got your phone or your electronic device And I want you to notice, there's two words there. It says, O Lord, our Lord. And the first Lord, if in most English translations, is capitalized. Do you see that? It's all caps. That is a a word that I want you to kind of catch. The word would be translated Yahweh or Jehovah, if you take the vowel points from Adonai. And the next word is Adonai. So he's using two words. That first one is so important. It is the word that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush when he introduced himself. It's a personal name of God. When God spoke to Moses, he said, I am who I am. It's his personal name. An invitation to personal relationship with God. Isn't that kind of cool? 
And so David, the writer of this psalm, says, O oh Lord, Yahweh, my Lord Adonai, you are my Lord, you are my master, you are my king. How majestic, how lofty is your name in all the earth, not just in Israel. I mean, I want you to catch that. You see, David's saying, you are majestic in all the world, not just in my country, not just in Israel. There is a definite mode of worship that's being invited for us to participate in where the writer of the Psalms says that God is not just a tribal God or a local God or even a national God. He's the world's God. Other nations had their own gods. The Syrians had their own God. The Babylonians had their gods. The Egyptians had their gods, right? You know that? But no one ever said that their God was the God of gods, the Lord of lords. And then Israel came along and they said, you know what? Our God is the great God who is over all gods <laughs> throughout all of history. Our God is the God of all tribes and all tongues and all nations. He is not just Israel's God. Or I'd suggest to you today, he's not just America's God. Or even the Christian's God. So I want us to just bow our heads for a moment and worship him again in prayer. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemies and the avengers. And when I look at all the things, the heavens that you have made by the, your fingers. Those heavenly bodies, the stars and the moon above us that you have placed there by your own hand, I am overwhelmed that you would care about me. That your presence is with us right now in the midst of this worship. And that you are mindful of my presence. You are aware of my prayer. You know my deepest inward thoughts. And you have given me a special place in the universe. And everything you have placed under my feet. And this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That we would know this morning for sure that we know. You not as judge and jury, but 
as Savior and Lord. Because of your glory, because of your love and care, and because of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. I want you to think the same thought that I shared there at the end of that prayer. I want you to think about this one thing for the next few moments. All people, all tribes, all tongues know him either as Lord and Judge or Lord and Savior. Did you catch that? All people, everywhere, in all, whether they say uh, Ni Hao, Zhao Sheng Hao, right? Or whether they speak English. Or if they say, Mahraba, to greet you today. Or, Comment allez-vous? Or, Comment ça? It doesn't matter at all this morning. Where they're from, all men will stand one day before our Heavenly Father and they will know Him as either Lord their Judge or Lord their Savior. And I want you to catch what the psalmist says here about why. He says why because of His glory, first of all. Right there. You are so good. We didn't even practice this. And he's right... Usually I have to go, next slide. He is good. But I want you to catch this. God's name is so high because he has set his glory above the heavens. And what, what he's trying to say to us, the psalmist, as he writes this, there is no God worthy more than God. Described here in this passage. There is none more valuable, none more rich, none more important, none more exceptional, none above him. Did you catch it? The word glory in this passage that the writer of Psalm uses here in his native tongue describes this idea of a weightiness or a heavy. You know when something heavy? Man, everybody notices, right? If it's really heavy... Everybody knows it happened. God wants, he deserves, is worthy, and even demands all significance. Does that make sense? He deserves renown and fame because he is famous. He alone is worthy of this. And the psalm writer kind of lays out for us and wants us to see two ways in Psalm chapter 8 that his glory is set on display. He says right here in the very first verse, his glory, or right there in that last part of the first verse, he says, his glory is above the heavens. Isn't that amazing? Think about that just for a moment. When he says heavens, he means everything out there. Everything up there, right? Will you say that with me? Everything out there. And everything, you guys need to do the hand motions with me. Come on, come on. <laughs> so I want you to say, everything out there and everything up there. You see, that's what he's talking about. 
He's talking about the stars, the moon, the planets, the galaxies, the solar system, the mountains. Think about it. All the trees, the grass, and even the animals. All that stuff that God made and you didn't have any part of. All of that constitutes, I think what the psalmist is saying, are the heavens. The glorious and amazing stuff that he is and that he made. All of those things. This is what's really cool. Go to the next slide because I think this is cool. Isn't that cool? All of the stuff that God made. All of it is on display to, to reveal his glory. To display his majesty. They exist for him and him alone. The heavens declare, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, verse 1. You might want to write that down somewhere. Psalm 19, verse 1. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. John Calvin, I love this. John Calvin called the world the theater of God. Everything that exists roars of the glorious God that he is. Did I have enough roar in my voice when I said roar? Psalm 104 mentions all of the animals. If you were to look at Psalm 104, and and probably in about five years, maybe you'll get there. (laughs) Maybe, maybe 10. You know, what's so exciting for me when I hear you guys are going through the Psalms and you're only doing small chunks, that means Joe's committed to you guys. You tell the community, Joe's here to stay. He's got to preach through all of Psalms. (laughs) And so Psalm 104 mentions all of these animals. It mentions lions, it mentions mountain goats, rock badgers. And then in the end, this is what it says. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. All those stuff, all those animals. We just came back from the Omaha Zoo. Man, I'll tell you, it's amazing what God has made. And the the beauty and intricacy. All of creation is announcing the glory of God. Amen? But then he sets his glory. Go ahead to the next slide. Now I'm, I'm jumping ahead here. Because all of his glory is on display in the helplessness as well. That's what he says here. He says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, he has established strength because of his foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. God is so powerful. I mean, think about it. Just think about this for just a moment. God is so powerful and so mighty that he can use the weakest things in the world to overcome the mightiest. The way God is most glorified in you and me is through other means than our might and our intelligence. I always tell people, if anything good comes out of my sermon, it's all to God's glory because I'm just not that smart. But he is glorified through, his, through our weakness, folks. He is glorified. He is magnified most and made most glorious through our weaknesses and our pain. 
and our suffering. That's when he shows himself most powerful. <laughs> it's Evan, right? I mean, think about Evan. Evan is helpless. I, I have a brand new grandbaby, probably about the same age. How old is Evan? Oh, mine's younger still. But that's, that's amazing. 11 months and you've already had heart surgery. They're helpless, aren't they? They can't do a thing for themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. But there is some power in a baby. Have you noticed how powerful Evan is? He, he, he can keep you up all night. <laughs> Amen? He, he can tell you when he's hungry and make you jump real quick. My, my grandbaby is just like that. And now for 18 to 25 years, you are now a slave to Evan. <laughs> he has so much power. But in the same way, that, that's, that's the same way it is for you and me with God. Think about it for a moment. The more you know God, the more you need God. The more you know God, the more you need him. And, and it's in that weakness where God, where Paul says God's power is made known through you, through us. Now, this is such a cool psalm because, you know, Jesus actually quoted this psalm in Matthew chapter 21. You might want to look at this sometime later. This, this is where Jesus kind of puts some people in their place. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 16, the chief priests and the scribe, they, they saw all these cool things that Jesus is doing. And, and, and then these babies and children are all screaming praise to Jesus. Woo! I mean, think about all these little kids are just going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's awesome. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and it really ticks the chief priests off. <laughs> So they go to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, do you hear this? They're praising you like God. <laughs> and he says, have you not read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And I can just see Jesus going, drop the mic. <laughs> Amen? I mean, he just tells it to him. I am worthy of worship. Jesus says right there, without saying a word, in acknowledging the praise of these babies. You know, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Jesus is so worthy. C.S. Lewis talked about God like this. He said, God is good but not safe. God is good, but not safe. He is blazing with glory. That's why his name is so majestic and high and powerful. I want, I want to just throw something out at you for a moment and, and have you contemplate it right here. Some of us are wasting our affection on something else but him. Some of us are giving ourselves to our thoughts, 
our emotions, our talents, our money, to everything else in our life except God. God who is blazing and beaming with light and glory and who is worthy of your worship and your praise today. Now, let's go to the next spot here. Because all people and tribes and tongues will know him either as their judge or Lord, their Savior, because of his love and his care for them as well. And I want you to notice what the psalmist says. David looks up at, at man, I, I listened to a sermon. I, I do this sometimes when I prepare for a sermon. I listen, after I've already kind of laid out my sermon, I listen to some sermons. And one of my favorite people to listen to is Francis Chan. Because he's just, he just makes me want to cry sometimes. And he, sh- he preached this passage. And what he did was he just put photographs from NASA up on the screen. His sermon was really short. The most of the time was spent just looking at the deepness of the cosmos. And I can imagine that David was laying down. Remember, there were no city lights. And David may have been out somewhere in the desert where the sky had no fog or or overcast, and he looked up at the deepness of the universe. All the stars. And saw how big the heaven really is. I mean, then he looks at himself. And he wonders why God cares about me so intimately. Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever looked at the the vastness of the universe and said, why God? Why me? We see how vast everything is, yet God seems to care about us. And that blows David away, and it blows me away all the time. Verse 3. When I look at the heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place. The writer of Ecclesiastes wrote, Generations go and generations come, but the earth remains forever. You know what he's saying? Well, let me give you an example. When I was a younger guy, I used to make cassette tapes. How many of you know cassette tapes, right? I used to make playlists of all my favorite songs on cassette tapes. Now, I know that most of you know what a cassette tape because of uh, Chris Platt, Pratt, right? And Guardians of the Galaxy, right? I mean, you know that because of that. Otherwise, you guys are all going, cassette tapes, right? But, I mean, he made them famous again. But then everybody started doing MP3s. Instead of carrying a big Walkman around that you push play, everybody had a little tiny MP3 player. Some of them like this big, you know? And we started listening to our, all our playlists, and we started sharing MP3s instead of playlists on our cassette tapes. And nowadays, nobody even has MP3s anymore because they have their own iTunes account that they can share, right? Am I, am I right? But I'm going to tell you, one day the iTunes accounts are going to be gone too. They're all going to be gone. <laughs> uh, 
those, those things are going to go away. Things are born and things die on the earth. But the earth remains forever. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. It's, it's almost as if the earth is a little indifferent to the fact that you and I are even here. I mean, it's like the earth doesn't care. I'm important, earth. But you know what? One day the earth's going to be here and I'm going to be dirt myself. The sun rises and the moon sets and the waves crash and the seasons come and the seasons go without any concern for Dallas Powell. You see how important my name is. David considers all of this stuff. And he says in verse 4, look at, what, look at it with me. I want to make sure you're actually awake. So you have to get your Bible out again. And look at verse 4, because I want you to notice what he says. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You know, honestly, if, if we were really honest, God shouldn't really care about us. He has so many other things in the universe to love and to care about. Man is just this flea. A temporary speck on the canvas of history. And according to the word of God and, and my own experience in the world, it's all going to continue without me. We need to wrestle with that for a moment. We need to think about it. Job said, Job is so astute. Job says, what is man that you make so much of him? that you set your heart on him. And in chapter 25, it says this, Behold, even the moon is not bright. I mean, think about that. Even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in your eyes. And then he says, How much less is man who is a maggot, the son of man who is a worm, God shouldn't love us. We've rebelled. We have rejected the maker. The mountains and the oceans have never done that. In fact, one day it says, every rock will cry out, right? But in Romans, it reminds us and tells us that because of our sin, if you're sitting there this morning and you go, I, I'm not a sinner. Have you ever told a lie? I don't care how small or big. If you've ever told a lie, you're a liar. Which is bearing false witness. You've broken one of the Ten Commandments right now. And so we're sinners. And our sin, according to Romans, all creation is groaning. All of the earth is groaning to be set free from the bondage that our sin has set upon the earth. Because of our brokenness, the brokenness in our own life, we struggle with God's love for us, though. And, and I want you to think with me just for a moment. We struggle for two different ways. We think God can't love us, right? Because, man, I've made so many mistakes. I've, I've failed God. My past is too scandalous. I'm too broken. I'm addicted. I'm messed up. 
God can't love me. Most of our life, most of our life is a dance to try to make God love us a little bit more. We try to bend God's arm <laughs> like that can happen, right? We ask God, come on, bless me. And so we either think God can't love us or we think God just has to love us. That's the other side of it, don't we? We think we're so likable. I'm so much better than, I'm so much better than you, right? When I compare myself to other people, I'm so much better than them. I don't lie as bad as they do. <laughs> I mean, we justify our sin. But that's when the Bible comes along and it just goes, and demolishes every one of those ideas. God's under no obligation to love you or me. He sees nothing in us that moves him to love us and bless us. But you know what? The Bible says, and it's very clear, that he pours out his love and his mercy on those who know him. He has made us the objects of his tender love and care. His eyes are always on you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. All that happens in life is him moving towards you. You catch that? All that's happening in your life today is God moving closer and closer to you. In the next slide, we see this. And I want you to notice that all, all peoples, tribes, and tongues will know either him as Lord and judge or Lord and Savior, finally because of his grace. Verse 5 says this, and we're going to read from verse 5 to 8, just to kind of refresh that in our brain here for a moment. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God, through David, I think is reminding us of Genesis chapter 1. He's trying to remind us of, of the creation story. You, you remember there were two people, right? What were their names? Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, God gave them one rule, right? What was the rule? That's right. Don't eat that fruit. And did they? Yeah, they disobeyed God. They broke the rules. <laughs> but God gave them a command when he created the two of them. You know what he said to them? He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the things that move on the earth. Sounds familiar, right? So David's trying to get us to think about this creation story. Now, there's something interesting here because theologians have given this a really cool name. This, this passage in Gen Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where he gives them this mandate to go and do this. They call it a cultural mandate. 
kind of a cool thing. I'm giving you some theological terms today, right? This is kind of fun. See, they, God gives them this mandate to go and fill the earth. Isn't that kind of interesting? It mean, this cultural mandate, the way the theologians describe it, is this. It means to go and make culture, to go and make cities and governments and music and art, to, to advance, to build, to create, to educate the world, to make the world, really, to have dominion over it. And I want to put a parenthesis around this cultural mandate for a moment, this passage here. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But what are we supposed to fill the earth with? Have you ever thought about that? If it's a cultural mandate, we're supposed to go fill the earth with culture, right? We're supposed to go fill the earth with something. The Bible makes it clear that you and I are like reflectors, reflectors of God. We're reflectors of God's glory in the world around us. And so we are to go and reflect God's glory. Fill his earth with his glory. Think about that just for a minute. I want you to think about how you and I are supposed to fill the earth with God's glory for a moment. God says to Adam and Eve, right? You guys go together. You notice it was together? You two go together, and I want you to fill the earth with my glory. Sounds kind of amazing to me that God would give Adam and Eve this amazing assignment to participate in something so great. Essentially, he's saying every believer has this, we're image bearers of God. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, and we're to go together and reflect God in our culture, in our world, as image bearers. Every believer is called to be an evangelist. We are called to be on mission with God. Though man is small like a worm, essentially, according to the, the passages that we've read, he gives us authority to rule over the earth. We should be ruling and having dominion over all things. And yet there's a problem, isn't there? Have you noticed? Do you know what the problem is? I might get a couple different ideas here. But do you know what the problem is? Mm. That's right. We're really the problem. We're the problem. It's us. You and I are the problem. The world is not as it ought to be. Instead, we look out and we see all this chaos and brokenness. And for the most part, we can't even rule ourselves. We lust. We have passions and desires and greeds. And we can't even rule our hearts, much less creation. And it is all messed up. Would you agree? It's all messed up. The world is broken, and we see it everywhere we look. Every time I turn on the TV, so I try not to turn the TV on to the news very much. I watch Disney flicks or something instead, something sweet, and makes my heart feel better, right? 
the Princess Diary, something that makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> but every time I turn on the TV and look at the news or pick up a newspaper, I see something's wrong in the world. You know what life has become? I think if you, if you think about it, this is what life's really become for all of us. We, we praise the Lord for little Evans and my grandbaby, right? We praise the Lord for all this new life. And then the rest of our lives, we're praying for God to heal and restore our broken old bodies. Because we're all going to die. And that's where we are. That's where we are in all of this. Now, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, go there with me because this is kind of a cool passage. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews, which I happen to believe is Paul, he writes and he quotes Psalm 8. And he highlights how God has given everything to, over to man to rule. See, you never knew. See, see why I loved him giving me Psalm 8? It's so cool. It's spoken of all throughout the Bible. And in Psalm, in, in Hebrews 2, where it quotes Psalm 8, here's how it starts in verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection, verse 8, now, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, At present, when I think about this psalm, I don't see the world subjected to me very well. Do you? It's like this psalm's really not been fulfilled. Right? Did you notice that? Everything's under his subjection. But when I look around, I know that I have no control, right? I can't even make my boss happy all the time. I can't make my wife happy all the time. I can't take care of everything in my life. I can't fix my grandbaby. I can't fix all the problems in the world. And when I turn on the TV, I see everything's messed up. You see, something's missing. And what I love about Hebrews is chap chapter 2 is this, that in verse 9, he gives us the answer to the problem. But we see him, we see him who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely, what's his name? Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by his grace, the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Isn't that hallelujah ground? Jesus tasted death and the curse for you and me. And he really embraced it. Think about it. Jesus loved you and I so much that he stretched out his arms and embraced the cross. He let them nail his body to a tree and he died for our sins 
on the cross. Psalm 8 needs a Savior for it to be fulfilled. And God sent his only son into the world, his only begotten son, to live in our place, to die in our place, to rise for us in victory. Hallelujah. Amen. Now Jesus. Would you say that? Now Jesus. Come on, say it with me. I want to make sure you're awake. Now Jesus is a name above all names. Amen. Jesus is now a name above all names. He's the God who became man to rescue us. Jesus is the king of Psalm 8. One day, one day he's coming back. One day he will right every wrong and he'll set the world straight. He will renew all things in his sovereign plan and power and timing. He won't be, he won't be late, I promise you. But let me ask you just a few questions as we close. Are you ready for this? Because this is where the, the passage really hits our lives. Because I want to ask you, is he your king? Is he majestic to you? Are you obeying him in everything he says? Do you trust him enough to let go of the other gods in your life this morning? Does he move you? My wife and I, we were, drove over here and we, we were listening to songs that are about Psalm 8. And then I got kind of excited because then I heard Sandy Patty sing, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic. See, I'm old, so I know these things. And so I had to keep listening to Sandy Patty and and Steve Green, and, and we just, hallelujah, I was crying in tears all the way here. So if my eyes are red and bloodshot, it's because I'm not on drugs, I'm, I'm just crying a lot. And, and does he move you like that? Are you in love with the name of Jesus the way David was in love with God? Because I'm going to ask you, if, if Psalm 8 and Hebrew 2 are right, and I believe they're right, then that changes everything. That means that Jesus Christ is a name above all names, of all history, of all people, of all tribes, and every tongue. And that changes everything. And we are called to carry out that cultural mandate. In fact, if that's right, then you all ought to be signing and, and going out and passing out flyers somewhere in your neighborhood, in your house, apartment. Because that means, that means we must be sharing Jesus Christ right where we are. It means we must be sharing Jesus and going to the places in the world where his name is not heard of. 
Are we really not obeying all that he's commanded us? You see, his is not just a name for Hastings. It's not just a name for Americans, but for every people, tribe, and tongue. And so I want to ask you, will you pray for the nations? Will you pray for Harvard? Will you pray for the next community over and the next one? Will you pray for Lincoln? Will you pray for China? Will you pray for Greece and Syria and Turkey and Yemen? Will you start looking at the world in a different way and saying, if Psalm 8 is correct, my life is to be a psalm. I ought to be singing it for Jesus. And then would you be giving? I just have to ask you that. It, it should affect everything about us. Are we giving to the Lord so that his name is made famous? Do you know on average, American church members give 2% of their income and 25% give nothing at all? But when you go to the restaurant, what do you do? You give at least 10 as a tip. <laughs> You're not even tipping God. <laughs> if we're not giving God all the glory. And I don't, I just kind of bring that up because I, I think that's what soulmate kind of makes me think about. It, it makes me think about where my priorities are. Am I really praying for the nations? Am I praying for my neighbor? Am I sharing the gospel with them? Am I living it out every day? And I want to ask you, will you go? Go to my next slide. I want to just kind of challenge you this morning. I'm taking a trip to Greece in November over Thanksgiving. Greece is a country I don't think many of us think about as being a, a lost place. But did you know evangelical Christians only make up 0.4% of the population? 0.4% of the population. And the world is moving there. <laughs> people from Syria. Talk about unreached people. Syria, Afghanistan, Northern Africa, Sudan, Somalia. They're all moving to Greece because it's close. To get away from the war and the fighting. And so not only are the Greeks lost and need Jesus, but so do all the world, the nations that are coming to Greece for relief. That's my daughter. Uh, the last time we went, we danced with these Syrians. And uh, you can see the lady in the hijab. And there's a Greek lady there who's dancing. We're just dancing and praising the Lord together and telling them about Jesus. They'd never experienced anything like that. Wouldn't you like to do that? Think about it. Go to the next slide. That's where Mars Hill is. It's where Paul preached. And you could go there and share Jesus where Paul had preached. 
tell the Greeks about his love for them and what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Next slide. <laughs> My heart's desire is to pour a little gasoline on the fire that God's placed in your heart today. If you know Jesus Christ, then this psalm changes everything. Will you come with me? Will you go with your pastor door to door? Will you go and tell your neighbor about how much Jesus has changed your life? Will you proclaim his name? Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to give you a special invitation as well. Would you follow Jesus? We know we're sinners. The Bible says we're all sinners by nature and choice. But Jesus embraced you with his love on the cross and he died there in your place and all you have to do is receive him. Repenting of your sin and placing your faith in him. And so I give you an invitation today. Would you follow Jesus? I want to just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, Father God, it is wonderful to know that you loved us so much that you sent your only son to die on a cross for me, for us. And even though I'm not worthy of your love, and I look at all the majesty that, that you've created that reflects your glory, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed that you would even care about me, but today, I'm reminded by your word that not only do you love me, but you have given me a mandate to go to the nations and tell them of your glory, to remind them of your love and your care for them and help them to see the glory that you have. You're majestic. You are so great. And if there's one person here who has never trusted you, may today they bow their knee and ask you to forgive them of their sins and trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And we pray this blessing upon your church, your people. Give us a boldness to proclaim your glory. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for this beautiful, amazing world. In Jesus' name. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.